Oh, hello there. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, great. How are you? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's a wonderful day. I um I got an opportunity. My wife was reading me some of your uh, bio last night, and uh, I was quite excited um, how diverse your background is. And so I thought it would make for a very um, rich conversation. Is Brian joining us or are we doing this separately? Uh, no, we're doing it separately. I've, okay. I, I didn't want to share you, basically. <laughs> no problem. Your uh, doctorate, um, yes. it, it's scientific rather than medical, is, is that right? It's actually uh, neither. It is a doctorate in education. I have a master's of science. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist by background. Right. I have this very convoluted path and it confuses people because I am um, well-versed in the sciences and um, have played a role rather scientifically and medically um, in the last, you know, during this pandemic, which people knew was in my wheelhouse because even with violence prevention, I was already talking about things like the a uh, a thin corpus callosum in the in psychopaths and you know i'd bring it you know I, I i took a biopsychosocial approach to all the work that i've been doing but this particular um credentialing path has has really thrown most people off in terms of how is this guy putting this all together how does he understand it how does he challenge us on the science how was he right um so i have no idea even how, how to answer that question anymore in terms of you know, a, 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 an interesting part is, um, as I'm sure you know, um, the word uh, doctor means to teach. <laughs> so, uh, well, or if you're an accountant, to fiddle the books. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you can go either way. Um, uh, rather than just start the show as I normally do, should we just roll into it? Because we yes, please. That's, yeah. that's it. seems seems to be a good fit for uh, uh, for us, and uh, really love where you are. Um, is that your home? Yeah, I I just have an old cottage in England. I I just rented. Wonderful. Where I am, I'm in the middle of nowhere, so I can just walk out the door, and I'm in unobstructed countryside with you know no people, no buildings. So it's, Beautiful. It's, just give me any some fair warning if that rocket ship is going to take off behind you at any stage. Oh, right, yeah, I will. No surprises. <laughs> yeah, if you want to roll right into this, let's do this. And I'm, it's what a, what a pleasure to um, to get to know you. And um, you have such an interesting background in terms of, um, I know recently on on, on Twitter, somebody, um, you get a lot of, I got get a lot of uh, naysayers. I get a lot of negativity as well as all the positivity. And, Recently, um, you know, somebody said, you know, psychologist heal thyself. Um, and, you know, the person was, you know, making fun at the fact that I really have spent um, this time during the pandemic, not only how to figure out how to fix myself, because I got hit with this bioweapon in 2019, before this thing even had a name. And I feel that that was, I'm grateful for the fact that it's, it, the timing of it meant that nobody could label it something that they didn't understand. Um, they were they weren't stuck with all kinds of boxes that it needed to fit in, and so truly, I did go out and heal myself. So we have a very interesting story. Yours sounds a lot more dramatic, potentially than mine. Now, in in, in hindsight, I know that I performed all kinds of um, uh, you know brilliant 
connecting the dots of something that wasn't understood. And, and I, I essentially fixed myself um, because I had the um, predominant symptoms with me after this, whatever this was that hit me in fall 2019 was mostly neuro. And so um, there was a strangeness to uh, anybody else that I'd ever seen having these kind of neurological symptoms. It was either pretty distress, distressful, like, you know, you'd just be walking and then your knees would just give out for no reason. And, and that should be like hugely concerning. And, and any places that I'd ever worked where those kind of things were happening, people were running to doctors and they were very concerned and there was an anxiety to it. Or I would see um, that there was um, a complete uh, lack of awareness, either because it came with some sort of psychiatric issue. And then there's generally what's known as label indifference, where you basically you are you have a lack of self awareness of how bad your situation is, um, and and there's various reasons for it. But the other one is that the, some of the signs and symptoms that I'd seen occurring to me reminded me of friends uh, and even ex girlfriends that I had who were really into a lot of drugs, and I saw things like. Um, you know, uh, jaw clenching and releasing. I, I saw the signs of, um, of, of, um, of, of essentially running out of dopamine. Um, I saw um, issues with serotonin. And so I was trying to understand what is this thing that's happening to myself? Um, and a strange part about the sort of lack of awareness of the, the symptoms and how awful this was, is that even before the whole sort of pandemic narrative started, there was no major like concern from any of the medical people. Like, why is this happening to a fairly, you know, healthy person? You know, why is this happening to a younger person? I remember walking down and, and he's a, he's a really good guy. That um, was my primary physician at the time. I remember like going to his office and then trying to walk down the passage to, cre to recreate this thing that's happening to me where my knees buckle. And if I was the doctor and someone's arriving to show him like this is happening randomly, like I, I just think that there should have been um, you know, a more seriousness and more serious face thrown to it. And that's what a lot of these quote unquote long haulers and these vaccine injured people are now going through where they, they're showing up at all these doctor's offices and they just met with this disbelief. Like, oh, you can't have this cluster of syndrome and that, and that doesn't match from this. The textbook says that this issue is only coming with that issue. You can't combine this. This is all in your head. You know, the latest offerings that they're trying to do now is like cognitive psychology, um, you know, um, um, cognitive behavioral therapy is what they're trying for a lot of these people who essentially have been poisoned. You know, it's a, an, awful, an awful thing to do to somebody that's being poisoned is to say, no, this is not a poisoning at all. You know, go back to your wife who's cooking up some arsenic. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, an, it's an awful, it's a really, really awful gaslighting. It's been incredible to, <clears throat> to watch, hasn't it? I mean, the, uh, it's been so clever that they've somehow managed to fool so many people um you know i mean that is immensely intelligent to be able to do that or is it just simply that the people are so dumbed down that they believe any 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 old I think, fed? I, I think the latter because you know uh, i i have 
I have a love-hate relationship. Like I think a lot of people that are you know, more philosophical and 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 um, have gone through life experiences that are eye-opening for them. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with humanity because on one hand, we can look at ourselves as these creatures and just like we are, you know, there's that great uh, documentary, um, what's it called? The Octopus, uh, My Octopus Teacher or something yeah. like that, right? Now we can look at ourselves as a species and we can go, wow, like, that's just incredible you know i got a young son um and he's gonna come up on two in a couple months time and just to watch his self-learning process every day and to see the changes you know the the inability to make words and then the ability to make a word that makes sense to another and then the ability to string that words together to get what you need um, the ability to use it appropriately, um, the ability to manipulate, the ability to use it for humor, right? Like, we, you know, we're outstanding in terms of all of these things. And then you have a look at, at what, what we've done with it. And when you have a look at um, the awful side of, um, of people doing horrendous things is that I don't believe it's a, a high level of intelligence. I think it's a lack of morality, you know, I think that ultimately all of us are capable of that style of intelligence if the consequences don't matter. And the reason that consequences don't matter to psychopaths is really interesting. It's just that they've turned everything into an object. Everything is binary. It's one or zero. It's either on or off. And it's either useful or it's not useful. It's either a tool that I'm prepared to use right now and dispense of, or I'm going to keep it in my pocket for later. It's a video game style world where even the idea of restarting the great reset. I mean, if you didn't know that you were talking, you know, uh, that it was, um, you know, the, the, the son of somebody who made a ton of money um, uh, on, on selling parts to the Nazis, um, even if you didn't know that that term came from that person, you could you could understand that, you know, a gamer, somebody playing video games would be just quite comfortable just to look at everything as the ability. Well, why didn't we just reboot? <laughs> why, didn't, why didn't we just clean slate? Why don't we forgive and forget and move on and we'll just do this. And, you know, it's time for us to not eat meat anymore. So we'll just exterminate all the cattle and then we'll take over all the breweries because that's what's taking place. Um, take over all the breweries and we we're going to make fake protein now instead of beer. You know, they, they, the, the, the interesting brilliance that they've got is not that the, that the orchestrators are brilliant, but they choose to use brilliant people. They pay brilliant people to do their dirty work. So, you know, oh, why don't we kill this sector of the beer market? Why don't we piss off a whole bunch of people and then crash, you know, crash this side of beer? Um, by relating it to transgenderism and transhumanism. And then that will crash that sector of the market. And then the shareholders, um, you know, the rest of the people that aren't um, uh, 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 royal family related, well, then they'll be okay when we tell them what we're switching over from to protein, right? It's so methodical, but to actually get the messaging out or to do it in a way that they can bamboozle, they really do use brilliant people, like the timing of things from PR, the choice of words, the cartooning. I mean, the, uh, I was watching, um, you've, you've got that brilliant um, uh, doctor, nurse, um, or should I should say nurse with a doctorate, uh, John Campbell, 
who's done incredible work during this time. And it's really been, for me, it's a, it's a little like watching him as a psychologist and watching him go through this process of an awakening. And at the same time, trying to hold his, you know, his, his, um, his sanity together. But um, I was, I was watching um, something this morning where he, he was showing that he was recently at a museum at a university somewhere. And they had this, you know, lit up model of the uh, AstraZeneca, adenovirus vector that was used for the you know terrible astrazeneca shots that have now been pulled off the market and they have it as this model and like you know case you know spinning around i love the way in his british accent he said i'm surprised they haven't thrown a blanket over it um, and so and i'm also surprised and it's probably uh, more surprising to him that they're not only going to throw a blanket on it but they'll throw another reward at the people that did it even though it's done horrible things because if you start admitting that you're wrong and the and the and, and the and the picture starts unraveling um you can let it unravel in that way or you as it's unraveling you just fill up the holes again with more of the same nonsense uh, it's just it, it becomes a, a game of replacement um but I digress. What I wanted to say is that even the idea of how we look at biology or what we've shown, um, you know, I, I realize that all of the stuff around biology are cartoon drawings um, as an explanation to help the human brain visualize. But no one's actually looked at these things in a living way. You know, um, our tools are so um, are so imprecise. You know, we're, we're, we're still chimpanzees smashing open up a coconut with a rock in terms of biology. You know, it's made up, it's modeling, and it makes sense. I taught um, something that I did um, when, when, you know, sort of a, a way that I could cope uh, with some aspects of apartheid for myself is I was always volunteering in ways that I thought would uplift these people are essentially, you know, go, went through an apartheid, what we all now are going through apartheid. It's just, you know, it's another form. It's an economic apartheid. But what I would do is I would try and help humanity by going, you know, um, I had a love of the, uh, the sciences. And so um, I taught high school biology uh, to people that were trying to get a high school diploma. And I realized that there is a need for breaking things down into pictures. And, you know, instead of talking about a macrophage, you could talk about a garbage truck. <laughs> you, know, you know, no one's going to see a macrophage. And so we visualize and it's useful, but it doesn't mean that that's true. It's, it, it, you're, 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 create, you're using poetic license and then, and then you can get chemistry right. But a lot of it is, um, you know, Disney-fied. And then they took that to the extreme you know, of pictures of this coronavirus. I don't know if you've seen on any of my social media and certainly your audience is welcome to go and find it on places like Twitter or on my Facebook. But, you know, I've, I found a picture of um, electron microscope, uh, uh, um, an EM electron microscope uh, photo um, of um, purified venom. Um, and it's the same size in terms of a nanoparticle size, the same structure looks the same in a black and white picture as what they call a coronavirus. It's just purified venom. It's the same, you know, so convince me that you're not showing me, you know, one picture you're calling a virus and the other one is a picture of venom. Then I go to the dictionary and discover that those two words used to mean the same thing. So virus I, I venom. Yeah. And, um, you know, the back in the 30s, you know, Royal Rife developed his microscope with Carl Abbe from Zeiss. 
and they were looking at pleomorphism they were looking at you know uh live work rather than electron microscope obviously which is dead surely there must be microscopes now you know physical optical microscopes of a power to see things live to really zoom in a, a, an awful lot more I think they are. I think they are. I think it's still extremely limited and realize that when, you know, sort of using, um, uh, who was it? Um, Heisenberg as principal, um, you know, the minute you're messing with something to do anything to it, you've changed it. So, you know, if you're looking, if somebody wanted to say, see the workings of a mitochondria, the battery packs of our body working, you know, in the human body, well, good luck to you. We haven't got quite there yet in terms of being able to make this nano camera that can, you know, swim through the seawater that is our body and go and, you know, get inside. I mean, ultimately, that's what they're trying to do with mRNA. I mean, the transfection that they're doing is really interesting for me because, because I know that they're making up stuff and because I know that they are using modeling, then it also allows me to understand it because it's not that complicated when you, when you, when you compare it, you know, if you want to compare, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, like I said, a, a macrophage to a garbage truck, and then you want to understand, well, what is the garbage they're taking out and how toxic the garbage is, you know, the, the minute you scale it and the, you know, the, then, then you can start realizing, okay, so they've said these things are reproducing in human cells, but what cells? And then you go back to their papers and you see, well, what are they using? And so one of the things that uh, Dr. Um, Artis and I were, you know, really very early on understanding is um, I sat down with Dr. Artis and I said, you know, they're just using E. coli to make this, right? I mean, they, they, they not only are they cutting out a whole um, line item in a, in a profit and loss statement where they've, where they essentially the economic value of mRNA and, and why they push so hard to have it is that you can really scale down your manufacturing because you, 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 you're forcing the consumer to make the product. So it's Ikea. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hyperbole of Ikea in terms of, Oh, you like this bookshelf, make it yourself. Okay. But it's even worse than that because at least Ikea, um, you know, the, the, they, not only aesthetically is IKEA trying to be more pleasing, but at least they send you home with the parts. And they tell you what it is you're building. Right. So these people, they send you home with the instruction booklet, but where are the parts coming from? You're making them. <laughs> They're just giving you the, the sequence of code that's being read by the protein manufacturers of your own body. And then they saying, oh, you, you've arrived at our restaurant and you want a, a hamburger? Let me uh, look at what you brought over here in terms of the ingredients. And then you sit down at the table and then they call you and they say, well, now it's your time in the kitchen. You'll be making your own burger. Let me see those ingredients that you brought with you. Oh, you know, you, uh, you, you're taking too long. Well, we're going to have to bill you for that. That's called an adverse reaction. Oh, yes, the bill. You can go home now. You know, at the end of the day, that's what they've done over here. They've, they've literally just stripped it down um, into a piece of software. And they've said, you go out and you code this thing yourself, but we'll charge you. We'll charge you the same, if not more, for your hard work. And not only that, um, the ingredients, but just like it would be that if you were creating your own food in a restaurant being charged for it, um, uh, it is also that it's your energy. 
right? So this is hugely ener energy expensive on the body. And so the entire manufacturing of it in some way could be looked at, okay, well, how do we reduce the energy at each, uh, at each section of this, which then starts relating to, you know, how they've sort of got this perverse understanding of carbon and carbon footprint and eliminating all carbon and human beings are carbon and, you know, everything at every step. And can, it's just, it's just apartheid. It's how do we get the most out of something with the most exploitation with the least pushback? So what appears to be coming now, you know, in the UK, for instance, they've recently cut down all the ash trees. You know, the yeah. theory, as I understand it, is that the ash trees have got a, got a virus. Yeah, really. And the best way to save them is to destroy them by cutting them all down. This, this will save, save them. And now they, they say, I was reading a paper this morning saying that uh, the work of getting plants to produce the mRNA vaccines uh, is now well underway and they won't be labeling it and you'll be getting your vaccines through through, through your veg. If through veg, through food, you know, through the fact that um, once you start making these where they're not injectable and you literally then go and you, you know, you're at your doctor's office for something or you're in for surgery and in, you know, five other units over in the hospital or something, they're now giving this as an intranasal vaccine or sending you home with a little pump. So these are now particles that are just ubiquitous, what they released. And it's no different than Roundup or anything else. I mean, ultimately, they put out a pesticide that is now ubiquitous and everywhere and that we're going to constantly stay in that very awful sick cycle. Um, and then as far as a lethal toxin, I think the thing that is, um, the thing that is, is interesting to me in terms of the, the scientific br brilliance of what they've used is that because this is um, energy hungry and because they're really going off to energy systems, the, Spike protein of, of SARS-CoV-2, for example, um, you could compare it to a nano-sized electromagnetic pulse. Um, because they're using venom technology, venom is a solenoid, essentially. It's got, it, it's, it's life form that, that incorporates pieces of metal. And so it's just the tiniest little form of coil. And then when you run current through it, you've got a magnet. And so, you know, I, in terms of the scale and how small that is and sort of the primordial soup of the universe, if you're bringing nanoparticle magnets that are essentially switching on and off because current is everywhere, they're frying things. And so they're, um, they're, they're the, the horrendous part about allowing these particles to now be, you know, sort of manufactured particles that didn't exist um, is that this is the new pollutant. Like this is the asbestos of our time, or this is, you know, when, when people were freaking out about a gun of phosphates, this, this is it in terms of this is the pollution. And then some, some person will start making money by hiring a group of scientists to design ways to depollute us, you know, uh, just like any other system, they'll pump the, 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 the air filled with noxious gases, and then they'll tell you they need ways to filter out those noxious gases. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, 
you know, I use it, I'm using apartheid as a model, but what what's timely about this and what might be also useful to people, because I love throwing this in as a helpful solution. And you can please allow this to be a segue where I hear more from you with my run on mouth over here. Um, the closest match I found to the time period culturally that we're going through the vile use of pharmaceuticals that essentially were killing people. And then you sell back the solution. Ramsey's the second um, in terms of the Moses Ramsey story. And some people have said, well, maybe it's not Mo Ramsey. So I'm just going to use the word Ramsey's the second. And if there's somebody that's really hurt by the fact that it might've been another Pharaoh, you know, I apologize, please come out with the correct information. It's a long time ago. My memory is, <laughs> but Ramsey's the second, um, they started playing with venom around that time period and you can actually um i want to reinterpret some of the things from that time period and um, to create some shock and horror and pushback uh, from people archaeologists that have you know sort of westernized and colonized um findings um so part of that is that in that time period um you have this you know huge leaps of sciences that they're using and one of the things that that you can you know sort of tell within their storyline is they're starting to use things like anodes and cathodes to do stuff. Um, the brazen serpent um, in the Bible is quoted as, "Well, what are we going to do about these fiery snakes? You're going to use this brazen serpent. Uh, copper and zinc together is about the best way of, of of handling any microbe on the planet. When you mention these trees, poor trees, because some good old fashioned copper sulfate." I mean, good luck, good luck to those viruses, right? And then they'll tell you, oh, but copper sulfate's awful and you're going to poison yourself because look at these farm workers who once got poisoned. Yeah, they were practically bathing in this stuff and turning blue from the copper because you shouldn't be playing with that level of it and you should have protective gear on and you didn't even need that amount of it, you know? Um, a, a crazy discussion I had with the EPA around, around copper uh, and and how useful it is as an as an antimicrobial when something like this, it it said okay. So with my team of scientists, we've got information over here um, based on the lowest level of toxicity that we can kill the range of microbes that you want us to kill for a kill test to get e EPA. And I didn't go the FDA route. EPA approval for something that can handle viruses. You've said we want it in ten minutes. But at 10 minutes, you start being too slow in terms of, it's too slow for us in terms of wanting non-toxicity, wanting the least amount of toxicity possible to get the job done. So if we can do it in 12 minutes <laughs> or 15 minutes or 11 minutes, how about 11 minutes with no toxicity, but we can't meet your mark. If we want to uh, hit that 10-minute mark, we have to start adding unnecessaries to something that should ultimately be a slow process. You never want die-off to be that quick. <laughs> I mean, you're nuking stuff, as you know, you're nuking stuff. You never want die-off. Die-off is really dangerous to the human body. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, if, 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 if that essentially from reading some of your bio, in terms of the fact that if you have what they'll say an, an antibiotic that doesn't work. Uh, potentially what's really happened is it's worked as a nuke. Exactly. And then, and then you're, you're, you really are so toxic at that point that of course 
septicemia is going to follow. Septic shock is going to follow. It has to. Um, and so you, as, when my question to the EPA was, you know, where did this 10-minute number come from? <laughs> because it's arbitrary. It's, a, it's ridiculous. It's, it's a ridiculous thing to say, here's the game, right? You, you, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm so black and white in some areas. And then I think a unique part of my brain is the ability to be so linear and so non-linear at the same time, because I realize, I realize the rules that they're creating for regulations or to make things easy. And then you also need to understand the complexity of the problem. For example, you just can't spray schools for two three years solidly with bleach <laughs> you know you can't be using um uh quarterly um, uh, uh, ammonias um to nuke everything and not expect that you're going to have lung damage no, not only that but with bleach in the uk they're allowed by law to have five percent <clears throat> other ingredients so literally some of the unethical bleach companies can get rid of toxic poisons with that yeah, they do. Yeah, right. So, similarly to what I believe that they did with fluoride originally. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, you've got, you got this fluoride problem that can't go into the water unless, oh, it's good for the water. <laughs> you know, so I think that there's the problem in terms of the, the, the average person that's never dabbled in any of this, doesn't realize why those rules are there, doesn't realize the background to them. And so they go along with thinking that regulatory bodies have got their best interests at hand. What I found very quickly, which was also another giveaway for me to shift from at that stage, divide up my energy to conquering the narrative, but also come up with, with, um, with solutions and strategies to mitigate and to prevent and then recover from. Because what I realized with the EPA is that I was talking to some pretty decent people. They seemed nice. And I know that they had kids, especially I had um, um, you know, a client. One of my, my clients at the time was the state of Maryland. And I knew a lot of these families lived in, in, in the state of Maryland because it's near, near D.C. And so I knew what I was trying to bring them in terms of um, another level of school safety, not having their, their, their places bleached up unnecessarily. Um, I realized that they, they probably in, in their hearts wanted a good solution. But then I realized that what they were playing with as a box of instruction and regulations is that they had essentially become just the gatekeepers for big chem and so when they liked me you know in these conversations when they realized that i was the good guy on this side trying to help them to create school safety like i've been doing for almost a decade and in in, in, uh, in tackling violence um when they liked me then they were trying to show me all kinds of ways that i could make money <laughs> Right, I could link up with this, and this is how you um, you basically repurpose one of the other chemical bleaches that are on the market, and then you could get a royalty deal with that company, and then your company, you know, we would give you the new registration, but the new registration was just the old registration with a hyphen, with your, you know, identifier, but it's the same product. You've brought nothing to market which is why Dr. Jim Laddie and I made the decision at that point, well, why are we chasing this as some form of um, hand sanitizer or aerosolized spray? You know, why don't we just bring this out as a supplement? Why don't we make it a personal choice that if you want to take aerosolized zinc and copper bound together in sulfur like the body wants it, 
Well, why doesn't that just become your choice to aerosolize it in your own pocket rather than thinking that we're going to somehow get hospitals to buy into a system that people could work, walk through a fine mist. And what we realized very quickly, or what I realized, I don't know that um, Jim really wanted to take on this fight and unfortunately he died of cancer during this time, <clears throat> is that what I realized is that um, as much as we could bring them a non-toxic solution, who are we to convince them <laughs> that it was going to be safe for them? And I was right in terms of the fact that we didn't have the credentialed authority to make people feel safe with the solution at hand. But Pfizer did, <laughs> and the CDC did, and the FDA did, and Moderna did. And so people took a lethal solution and didn't know in the background how hard people were working to bring the public non-lethal solutions, similar to the poor trees that you talked about. The human beings in this case that have died from this are just those trees. Oh, we've got this problem. The best way to deal with it is to kill them. Yes, quite. So um, as far as the theory of viruses is concerned, um, I mean, when I discovered some, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago that I was low on vitamin D in winter, I never got a cold and flu ever again. Uh, I, I was one of these people who didn't suffer from, you know, the, whatever it was, the poisoning that, that went on. Now, is that because I regularly take detoxification agents like vitamin C and fulvic minerals and sulfur and various things? Um, so I'm not sure whether the theory of viruses that is contagion is true or whether rather that um, if you detox regularly, you know, I see viruses, you get a cold or the flu and all this stuff comes out, you burn it off with heat and, you know, all the gunge comes out. And that generally happens when you relax, you know, the, you're working really, really hard, then you suddenly yes. go on holiday, bam, it all comes out. So I, I'm not sure about the theory of viruses at all. You know, what, what, what's your feeling? Well, I think what's interesting for me is um, once once I saw that the archaic version, you know, um, non-used version of the word virus has two other wonderful, much, much easier um, rational approaches to understand what virus is. One of which is it defines a virus as a poisoning of the mind or soul. Mm. Okay, so you, you can you can immediately have a look that that essentially um, uh, the pandemic and its fear is going to cause things to come out your body, yeah. and it's got and it's going to cause oxidative stress. Yeah. Right. I mean, ultimately, my sort of my own personal breakthrough around what life and death is um, is you have this you have a timeline where you're dancing with, with um, protons and, and, and um, electrons. And as you accumulate electrons, if you, if you get to the point where your, 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 your system is electron heavy, you, 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 that's death. It's a burden. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a burden that is weighted. It's too heavy for the system. And so it will fragment the system. It will break up and then the whole system has to start again. These, this, this body of mine that's held together um, by bonds <clears throat> is fragile in the sense that 
the repulsion and attraction of all of this is working really hard. But at any stage when there's when it becomes electron heavy, it just decays. You, 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 that is decomposition. So when when I look at oxidative stress and things that they call rea uh, reactive oxygen species, and and then you have these things that they call scavengers. What the scavengers are are things that need electrons. They're electron hungry, and then you can share the load with them, right? You, they could, the, the, and then you can get rid of them. So part of toxins that are released from the body, at least um, living microbes um, and, and, sh and shrapnel from microbes, is the usefulness of, of, of scavengers is that as they start dying off, because they become electron heavy, okay, then they're released. They're released from your system. And so you're in competition. You're in competition with these protons uh, and electrons, these charges of, of um, attraction and repulsion. And so when, when you talk about um, the products that people would use and the supplements, um, uh, what, what I believe is happening with them is that part of the stress that we put on our own bodies as, as um, human beings that have found it necessary to run the clock on everything, Right, the quantity became more important than quality. Is we're fighting our own circadian rhythms, and when you fight circadian rhythms, you've got to take on the resources and capabilities to withstand the damage that you're doing. So COVID is very interesting because, in one way, I've described it for a long time now, and I understand that, in a sense, the pathology of it is it's event, it's an envenomation. Because ultimately, the major damage of it in terms of the electrical systems of the body that are shutting down are doing that because of these little coils that we call venom. And so it's a poisoning um, as well, um, because besides the coils, you also have lectin. Um, you'll always find everything in nature has its counterbalance. And so when you find a venom, um, you generally, you know, a glycoprotein, for example, will have um, the other side of the Velcro would be a lectin. There has to be a balance. And we have lectins in our tissue to do our, our signaling for us. It's actually the lectins that are letting us know what sugar particles are floating by and whether they're safe or they're not safe, just by, basically by, by Velcro, like just touching Velcro. And if the, you had it the wrong way around, it wouldn't bind, right? So when things stick to each other, you can you can have these electrical impulses. So in it, it's a it's a it's a venomous uh, lectin based poisoning. And um, there's there's a historical case um, in the UK where um, beans weren't cooked up, and and those lectins almost killed a bunch of kids. Like when when we don't deal with lectins and we poison by it, it's an awful slow poisoning that that can cause um, organ failure within hours. And so you have this venom lectin poisoning that um, is not only on the, um, you know, the, the, the um, spike protein that they built, but then they then use that same spike protein and put them injections and stuck them in human beings. So it, that in itself becomes the thing that, that people are dealing with vaccine, uh, with vaccine injury, um, this, you know, um, venom-based uh, lectin poisoning. However, the, um, the other similarity, what, what becomes very interesting then is to go, okay, so then what is it that venom's really doing? What is it recreating in nature that already exists? It's not, nothing is ever new. It's just repurposed. What is 
what is venom doing biologically? Why would it be so destructive the body? Why would be why would it be like a slow kill switch? If something's not trying to kill you, and you and, and it's so slow and so awful because it's being used, like venom is used for insects to to basically take over a body, put it in suspended animation, and then lay eggs in it. So that when those eggs hatch, it's got a body to live in. So what is it that it's actually doing? What processes is it exploiting that naturally exists already? What is it? What circadian rhythm is already there? Hibernation. So it's forcing a suspended animation. It's forcing the body to go, it's winter. We have to sleep. So part of what we're dealing with as human beings when we get sick and when we say, oh, there's a seasonal fluctuation of viruses in winter is that ultimately, one, the UV light goes down and toxins are switched off by UV light. Once again, you've got a tiny coil. You're going to hit it with nanoparticle frequency. <laughs> You're going to disrupt the electromagnetic uh, ability of it. You know, it's so, it's so small that that the the things that we don't think about um, as as we're interacting with like sound and light become really part of understanding that this the how sweet things switch on and off and so so it's really interesting about the the sickness that we fight often in a winter season is we are putting a huge um, as mammals we put on a huge uh, burden on our system to pretend winter's not happening. <laughs> right i mean vitamin d stays inactive for the body for a very important reason because animals that would have vitamin d on all the time without an ability to switch it off couldn't hibernate yeah yeah very interesting point i hadn't quite thought about it that way that's um yeah that's very interesting um uh last year sometime i spoke to brian Ardis about what were the solutions to poisoning? And we we discussed a number of things. Um, do you think, this is one of the things I didn't discuss with him, do you think that water filtration uh, is gonna work? If, if there was venom in water, for example, if they poison the water supply, which is would be such an easy thing to do. Um, do you think filtration would work to get it, to neutralize it, get it out? Um, so it's, it's a really difficult question because one, is there benefit of, of, of filtered water period for people? Yes, because have they ever seen how bad the pipes are? And if they also know that the EPA is actually at war on copper piping. So <clears throat> there's another way to poison the water as well, which they've done for years. The, one of the biggest water purification companies in the world called Carus is, um, is an Illinois based, um, family business that, what they've done is, and actually supplements um, are um, at fault for this as well. <clears throat> a lot of a lot of supplement companies um, uh, un unknowingly um, have done this as well. If if you constantly putting out zinc, but you're not balancing that with copper, that is a poisoning. Sure. And and so when you have a look at what um, these water purification, um, uh, a lot of what what it is is purifying with zinc. So ultimately, you've really got to ask yourself, well, then what is the purified water that you're drinking? Because if you're just going into a constant zinc toxicity, 
because you deplete because now you're copper deficient just by the ratio being off then your purification would really need to be things like uv light as a re as a as a much better way of of um and and once again what's the best way to actually switch off venom is copper it's not zinc it's actually copper sulfate is one of the um the earliest known ways um to to actually um neutralize the toxins to switch them over and why once again we have to go and and and, and remind ourselves it's just a coil <laughs> so what are you doing with the coil <clears throat> you essentially changing the the electromagnetic properties by bringing these giant atoms to it that are protons so um, you know, i'm in agreement with you you know like, like you i have a uh, a copper and zinc supplement um how many milligrams of i use copper sulfate how many milligrams of copper do you think you actually need I have no idea. <laughs> you know, the, so so with this is this is also why like I dabble with this every day of trying to to get people to improve their health, uh, including myself. And then what happens with this is that we we are so alike, but we're also incredibly different. And so it's the worst answer because you have to say it depends. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. And then and then you 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 basically I think that here's the difference between, you know, uh, a chef. Right. Uh, and a disinterested line cook. Right. In terms of, you know, your best restaurants, you know, ultimately, if you're looking for just efficiency, you end up with a McDonald's approach of a template. Right. And then it comes with all sorts of awful consequences. But then when you have a look at a chef, uh, a true chef that can arrive at your, at your house and find scraps and, 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 uh, and spices that you haven't even known that were left there for 20 years, and suddenly you have this delicious dish, you didn't see them bring out a measuring cup once. <laughs> and you didn't see them, you know, they just took out, they looked at the spice, they threw it in, stirred it up, might have given it a taste. Oh, it needs a little bit more. And so it becomes really the challenge here in a modern day world is everybody wants these solutions that are tailor-made to them without it factoring in them into the equation. So I know that there's ratios. For example, I looked at like a ratio of, um, of, of 12 to 1 of copper and zinc. I looked at an 8 to 1. I personally think, and there's no way I can prove this, maybe it's something that you could work on. Um, the Fibonacci number, the golden spiral, there was, I mean, I spent a couple of hours while trying to formulate going, wow, this looks to me like this is a golden ratio here. It hmm. looks to me. But I, I didn't. I didn't get as far as going. That's exactly what the body's doing. So the, the 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 best way to know the exact ratio would be for a molecular biologist to work out the exact ratio that's going into a dismutase in the body called SOD one, which is copper zinc you know, bound together with sulfur in the body. And when when you asked this question earlier about do you think that these things are working in terms of keeping away, you know, viruses from, you know, and 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 uh, and and rethinking about the way viruses work, what I've come to understand is that the world that I was you know that I dabbled in that crosses over with law enforcement, public health and emergency management is no different when it comes to the human body. 
So if you're going to try and, and, and withstand winters and you're going to get less UV light um, and things get cold and they get dank and, you know, the environment changes in your body, then how you survive that is ultimately you've got to make the behavioral uh, adjustments. You've got to try and get the limited sun that you can. You've got to bundle up and still go and get sun. It makes me wonder that the, if the original bald spot that arrived in, in men Right, more sunshine in. Who may have been like a solar panel? That's interesting. Yes, I right. I mean, I look at everything as functional. Why would that be there? Why would it be at the back of the head? You know, why would we lose hair? You know, in certain places and not other places. You know, as we get older, for example, um, especially with men who tend to be built um, gen gender-wise in a much more rugged way to withstand the environment. So you get these hairy ears. You get more nostril hair. These are all defense mechanisms. It's like I'm teaching, it's like I'm teaching a, corp, a, a, a company, you know, you've got to build these, you know, build your circle, you know, stop things at the perimeter. Don't try and stop a threat when it's right there, you know, shooting up kids. You know, this awful video that just floated around from one of our recent shootings over here. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many schools I've gone to and they've spent millions of dollars on all kinds of stuff on their school, but not literally a couple thousand dollars on ballistic film that buys you time while someone's trying to smash open or shoot open a, a glass uh, window somewhere. And they suddenly find, Oh, a baseball bat's not working. An AR rounds not working. Uh, while that's happening, people are moving people out the way, making phone calls and getting the help they need. So it's all about securing your perimeter. So how do you secure the perimeter of, um, of tissue? from hydrogen peroxide, because the body also makes bleach. We talked about the schools making bleach and, and adding these other ingredients. So does the body. <laughs> you know, it makes the worst forms of acids to try and neutralize the threat. So how do you protect the tissue? You protect the tissue by coating it in antioxidants. It's just a coating. You know, it's basically, if you look at glutathione, if you look at, um, at, at what at SOD1 is doing, it's creating a patina around the object that you're really trying to protect from the oxidative stress on the outside. If there's a film, if there's a film, it's going to get to the less of the metal that you're trying to protect. And just as we do in life, you know, you have a look at a beautiful um, a copper, uh, a bronze statue, another metal that's, that's turning green. What do we do? We rub off that stuff. Thinking that we want the, sh the shimmer and shine well, ultimately, that statue and that sculpture is going to fall apart. It's going to rust, right? Because it's making its own protective layer so that it can withstand. And our cells do the same. And then, um, Clive, I don't know if you've looked at, at this from a, an EMP, you know, uh, and the stuff we're talking about. But um, uh, the, the, a lot of this um, comes down to protecting the integrity of the cell um, with niacin. Um, I'm a huge fan of niacin for so many reasons. So tell me more about that in terms of, um, you know, what, what, like when you, when you say a fan, um, what, what do you, how do you visualize it or what, what would you, what would you tell people to do? Because I get this question asked all the time in terms of explaining like, well, why is it important? Well, um, I studied the work of Abraham Hoffer, who you've probably come across. Have you come across Abraham? I haven't, no. He was um, a psychiatrist working out of Canada, and uh, he's 
passed on now, so he was around for a long time. He was one of the fathers of orthomolecular medicine, along with Linus Pauling. And one of his early clients as a psychiatrist was Bill W., who was the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. And perhaps the reason that Bill W. was an alcoholic was he was manic-depressive, bipolar. And um, Abraham Hoffer fixed him in, in just a few days, giving him, uh, he built him up to three grams of niacin, which obviously would give you a massive flush if you took, took that all. Yeah, yeah. And it totally fixed his manic depression. And um, uh, Dr. Hoffer also did the first uh, trial of fixing uh, cholesterol imbalance. You know, obviously low and high cholesterol, they're both good, one's in and one's out. And he found that using, uh, again, large doses of flushing niacin, um, along with vitamin C and a few other things, that uh, he was reversing pretty much every uh, neurological, you know, depressive disease, manic depression and so on. Um, uh, but it was also fixing the arteries so that the liver didn't need to protect the arteries by, by a layer of cholesterol. Because you know, cholesterol is a wonderful thing. It's a bandage. It's what your brain's made of. You, know, you don't want to lower your cholesterol. You know, statins are insane. So uh, he, he did the first um, double-blind clinical trial showing that niacin and uh, the other orthomolecular vitamins rem remedied arterial issues. You know, he was fantastic from that point of view. And I understand they're trying to ban niacin. Uh, I, I think I'm right. I don't know whether they can actually do that. But, um, you know, I take um, inositol hexaniacinate as, as a non-flush version, which I feel is better than niacinamide, but it, it, all, it all works. Um, uh, and, I mean, there are many other uses. But I, like What I found, and, and I've been following the work of a guy called uh, Dr. Dimitri Katz, um, and uh, he, he's the first person that... that turned me on to, to the importance of it. And then there was this um, really interesting um, uh, chat that, that helped me to, um, once again, try and visualize this in some sort of macroscopic way. Um, but the, what uh, before I tell you about the visualization, what he um, added um, after I had an interview with him, um, it was interesting. He was, he was talking about this, uh, this protocol that he had built and he had uh, uh, B3 and I think it was uh, B6, and um um b9 um he, he he established how important um all of all of the bees were and in specifically he you know was really pushing hard on um on on b3 um on niacin but um then shortly after i interview another big breakthrough he made was um is glutamine in used in combination and i found that it, it does it, it 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 certainly limited the, the the flush for me um in taking in in combination and 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 it becomes a little and i haven't looked at it you know in terms of the molecular biology but a fascinating thing for me and 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 why sort of loving and hating this this new role i've got in this you have a comfort with it and, and your background leads you to know about this stuff and it leads you to sound less crazy. But as we both know, there's probably that thing that you, a lot of people probably still think you're batshit crazy, right? And my, is that a decent assumption that there's, that there's people that would say that you're out there? Not that you care, but 
you know, in in the world of everything being in boxes and the way that you know people other people explain things, or even the fact that we call them supplements when they're essentials. Yeah, right. It's like you know, people say, "Oh, <laughs> I've heard that copper is um is toxic. Good luck living without it." <laughs> you know, let me know how that goes for you. Um, but so maybe you haven't had had sort of as much as I've faced in this in terms of um coming recircling to stuff that I'd been previously interested in before I became known in professionally in the work that I was doing. Um. When you fight against the narrative, when you try and give people solutions, you know, if somebody came to you with cancer, you know, they go to their doctor or whatever, and they've, they've just been thrown this, um, you know, the doctors never explained chemotherapy as we're going to try and kill you. Um, but at the last moment, we're hoping that we don't give you like one more dose that you didn't need because that would be death. But if we get the just quite right, we've almost killed you without killing you and then you'll live. Yeah, we, we've, we've killed the cancer, but and you'll recover. Right, right. Which is a lie. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and ultimately, to kill the cancer, we almost, we, we know the cancer is going to uptake the, the toxins faster than your other cells. So, we, you know, we're just hoping that they win the race because your other cells are also taking it up. And if they win, or if there's a mistake made, and the cancer is not taking it up as fast and we give you too much, yes, then you'll be dead and we'll say that the cancer killed you, not our treatment, right? I mean, Nobody dies from cancer anymore. <laughs> exactly. They killed long before that. Do, do and so, so for me, the, what, I, what I love and hate about this role I'm playing is that I, I like visualizing these things and I like knowing that uh, even with the best of science, um, a lot of this stuff is still guesswork to people. But there's such a spiritual place uh, part to this as well. But as soon as you start trying to explain it, unless we're in a forum like this, um, it becomes way too um, like sorcery or um, too whimsical, metaphysical. But niacin uh, is um, so beautifully, uh, um, it's, a, it's such a beautiful story with niacin because when Dr. Dimitri Katzenwer and I were going back with a, a, a series of, of chats on, on, on Facebook, I asked him the question, something like, um, but what is it that not, why is it, what is it that niacin's doing? Or um, what is it that makes niacin um, so vital to the cells? And I was expecting like a long answer or something. I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't the answer that I got. He wrote, because God. <laughs> and, and so what i loved about it is that for whatever reason it sparked a thought process for me and that it made me dig and have a look at molecularly what niacin was doing and they say that 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 niacin as a um, as a molecule on this planet came from a meteorite hitting the planet at some point in our history and that, i really wonder how they work that one out yeah know? well but if if it's true if it's true that it's a mineral that got added in a timeline later than, you know, somewhere along the Big Bang, right? And you have, and you have this, this earth and then this earth gets this hit. Um, it does become part of a really beautiful story of knowing 
that there's a series of events that need to take place with the exact right uh, amount of gases, the exact round amount of, of substances, the exact amount of carbon, the exact amount of oxygen. And then you have this, this really interesting substance, which is a carbon that is magnetic. Niacin is essentially a form of what they're trying to make or what we're all scared of when we talk about graphene oxide. You can picture it like the statue of Buddha that you see with the outstretched arms pushing up. Because if you have a cell, which is a fractal version of a tiny universe in itself, why wouldn't all of the gases that are heavy and dense, why wouldn't they just come down and crush everything below? What is it that's repelling them? Why do we have an atmosphere? Why do we have a bubble? You know, like we're protected by, you know, we think about bubble wrap in a package. Um, but ultimately, if we had a nano-sized particle, we would want that inside the bubble of the bubble wrap. And ultimately, it's niacin that's doing that. Okay. It's, pu it's pushing up and allowing just the round amount of space. And so part of the horror of what these particles do or what we call COVID as a syndrome and what we call an envenomation and what we'd call, you know, um, a forced um, hibernation is um, it is pulling out. It is replacing and pushing and changing the magnetic structures. And then you have cell collapse. And that's what we'd call, you know, cell death. Um, one of my least favorite words, um, I love reading it, but, you know, um, apoptosis <laughs> can twist up my tongue on the best days. But if you have a look at programmed cell death, you know, what we'd call cell programmed cell death, I mean, niacin becomes so important as this way to, um, you know, here you've got this really wonderfully balanced living system that should continue on growing and go for a long time and try and stop itself from, you know, threats. Um, but the thing that it needs the most is it can't suffocate. It can't have these collapsing gases. And the awful things like remdesivir, um, you know, I, I haven't followed the path myself, but somebody explained the science of remdesivir to me that ultimately one of the byproducts for it is cyanide gas. Right. So now you're adding all of these, you know, gases, you know, um, that are now floating around in, in abundance that now the body has to deal with and you pulling away, you know, these the outstretched Buddha hands and the cells are sort of collapsing. And then you're fighting this, this process of how fast can you make new ones versus how many are dying. And then if the dying ones are beating out the living ones, then you, you've got once again, this really easy way of understanding it a death process. Um, and once one last thing on the hibernation is that when you're talking about cholesterol, um, so very much it becomes this balance between if you're truly hibernating, you can't use glucose as a system. You, you know, the bear can't wake up to go and find honey. Winnie the Pooh needs to sleep. And so it has to use fat as a system. Healthy winter ketosis. Right. And it's using brown fats. And so when, when it gets into a point where it, um, the human body, especially in a non-hibernating mammal, is that we are preparing for um, a winter that we're not supposed to have the kind of food that we've got, 
where you can go out to your local store and you can buy whatever you want at a time where you're supposed to be in starvation. So now you've got the same sort of pathway to obesity that happens in obesity uh, systems where you're not supposed to eat that food because that wasn't there for your ancestors or this time of the year, or you change the med, you know, the, the, um, there was one culture that I once saw a, a, a brilliant documentary on obesity where the, these were, these were mountain people and they would run up and down mountains. And of course they had incredible metabolisms. And as soon as you put those people in a city and they're using an escalator and a lift every day and sitting, well, they can weigh 500 pounds because their ancestors burnt off <laughs> a lot of calories coming up and down the mountain. <laughs> Right. And yeah, so forcing these forcing these changes on us, all we're really trying to do in terms of win the war of life <clears throat> is that we're ultimately protecting the body. And I think that this is where you you scale it up even further and you have a look at, OK, so we're protecting the body with things like niacin and we and we're doing, um, uh, you know, glutathione and we you know putting back all of these things. Inositol is brilliant. Um, that you mentioned earlier um, that that's really helpful for somebody that I knew who had um, um, vaccine uh, reaction and uh, was causing neuro problems. And it was the inositol, um, you know, adding inositol um, um, that really helped him in his opinion. Um, so what what ultimately what why i feel this is a multi-leveled fight is that we are fighting things on a nanoparticle level and they're making really terrible products on a nanoparticle level and like you said they're going to start putting it in our food you know you know you know people that are vegan now are like well we don't really care about what vaccines they're giving to the animals because we don't eat meat anyway it's all part of the same system right and all the and all the water is going to get polluted with it and all the runoff is going to get polluted with it and the air is going to so we we can't only fight it on a nanoparticle way we 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 have to be fighting the perpetrators of it yeah you know, we, we ultimately have to be that's part of the, the conversation you know we have to get we have to either slow them down like i said with ballistic form you know in terms of policy and and politics and discussions and um and 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 procedures um and bringing information to people um um uh, constantly um because you know that that's just one more layer um my, my myself i find that the most tiring though i don't know how um you know how you go with your own ebb and flow of this fight that you've been doing for a long time but that exhausting thinking that that you know trying to help human beings that could overcome a perpetrator in mass instantly. <laughs> you know, not it's an interesting situation, isn't it? Because, you know, let me say you and I were the planet and we're an intelligent planet. And we've got these bloody stupid people wandering about destroying the place like mad. Would you give them a way out? Right? If you're so silly that you're going to believe what you're told and take this mRNA life-changing jab well you know if we were the planet would we decide well that's okay we'll just let them wipe themselves out if it, if it comes to it i don't know so you know i i've lost a lot of faith in in the human race however i think basically 95 percent of people are good would not do bad things you know yes there's a percentage of psychopaths out there and I don't think they're curable, unfortunately. I don't, I, I don't think there's, there's a fix for it. But, you know, in, in life, things rise to the top. In cooking, you know, 
two things rise to the top. It can be the cream or it can be the scum. And of course, when it comes to politics, the scum have totally risen to the top. But essentially, I'm not advocating violence, but we know where they live. It's not like they're hiding. And, you know, the systems, I think, are good. In England, we've got a parliament, 600 people who are meant to decide things, you know, on our behalf. We've got whatever it is, a million public servants who are meant to be serving us. You know, they've forgotten the definition of the word servant. You know, all the public servants, all they've got to do is realise they are servants. So instead of getting a parking ticket when you take your car out, they help you park. You know, the planners help you. The government should be helping us, but obviously it's tyranny. They, all the governments of the world, worldwide have taken over and are running the people, not helping them. So I think it'd be dead easy to fix things because the, the systems aren't broken. It's only a few psychopaths. And I mean, you know, people say, well, what about the corporations? They're out of control. Well, that's easily dealt with by making the directors of corporations individually liable for their actions, just like if you run a limited company, you're liable. You know? Sure, sure. So I think it would be so easy overnight we could fix the system, actually. Yeah, I agree with you. <clears throat> you know, so you have to be careful in life what you ask for because um, you, you know, you're right in terms of um, it, it, it is fixable and, um, and these are the mechanisms that are supposed to be in place. Um, as, a, as, a, as a child and, and early teenagers, I was um, really fascinated by um, the psychology of the Holocaust. Um, I, started, I started being played by, by this thought process of, and, and probably, I mean, I was, um, don't know if I was really thinking about it consciously at the time, but um, it was, it was my, part of my awareness that, that um, I was living in apartheid and that you had um, a tiny minority of people that had incarcerated and enslaved the majority and that they were really outnumbered. And so what was it that they were able to do in terms of building a system and, and, and running that system every day that stopped the majority just taking them out, just ending it. And then, you know, you really, I think um, it, it, it gets awful because you see that the cycle, the storyline gets repeated over and over and they just, they perfect those methods, right? In terms of um, in, in, um, in apartheid land, you know, like we're facing now, the censorship, you know, they, they would even, if you decided that you wanted, you know, old school vinyl record and, um, but they didn't like the, the record cover, they would employ people with Sharpies, <laughs> black markers, you know, to remove certain words. And then they'd still sell you the, you know, the record if they wanted to, if there wasn't anything on the record. But um, they would literally um, find certain words offensive. Yes. Um, and, and this isn't the first time uh, somebody I knew collected antiquities. And one of the things that he really liked to collect, he was Spanish. He would collect old books when the Spanish Inquisition had come round. They basically burned the books they didn't like. But some of these books were so beautiful, you know, they're hand, handwritten, might have taken years to, to write. They couldn't bring themselves to destroy them. So they took black ink and inked out all the lines that they didn't like. And of course, over the hundreds of years, the ink faded. 
And now you can see exactly what the Spanish Inquisition didn't want you to know. Beautiful. And I hope that that's what's happening now with sort of some of this unraveling and um, and drips of truth coming out. Um, the, 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 the question for us as human beings is, um, how far do we want to be controlled by the few? That's what it comes down to. And it's not, it doesn't need a violent, um, it doesn't need a violent uprising. Um, it, it takes you, takes me back to um, my, um, my son. I don't know if this is common with all children. Um, I think it is based on stereotypes. He's learned the word no way before he went through the word yes. Well, it's the most powerful word in a child's language. No. It's such a powerful word. So as human beings, part of it is no, and it doesn't have to be violent. It is, it is no, we're not going to be run by a few anymore. We need more systems with actual representation of people's voices. And no, you can't have the final say. <laughs> we have the final say. You know, it, it really is this exercising of um, one of the shortest words, um, at least in the, in the uh, English language, one of, one of something that's indisputable, something that doesn't even necessarily need a word. It comes with gestures. And I think that that is um, going to become more and more important. But here, here's, here's a, a, you know, sort of the, the sobering reality part to it for me. And maybe it's just the ebb and flow of, um, you know, my own energy in this fight. Um, going back to what I said about Ramses II and, and the Passover Seder. So you and I, um, and I did this during the HIV epidemic um, for one particular person. Um, there might've been a few, but one that stuck in mind for me was a, a, a young girl in, in South Africa at HIV and um, was coming to my groups that I was running as an intern cl clinical psychologist. And she said, I don't want to die, but I also don't want to be part of these clinical um, trials that are killing everybody. Um, so what else have you got for me? Like, um, I really trust you. I'm enjoying these groups, but I, one, I finding it very depressing to come here and see, you know, week after week, everyone's, you know, it's dead. And I said, well, I, I think you should stop coming to them. You're right that this is creating extra stress. Why don't, why don't you come in individually? You don't have to watch people dying. And the other thing is that I said, look, it's not in my wheelhouse, but um, certainly going to answer your question with a question that should have been asked by everybody, which is what else can be done besides medication? So I built her a supplement protocol just based on the fact that I was really into gym at that time. And, and I, you know, I had a good understanding of, of the amino acids and stuff that I was taking. And she called me at the beginning of this pandemic. It was very, a really big moment for me in terms of sort of understanding that I had to do the work and that I had to get involved in this. She called me to check on me. She found me on social media and she said, look, you helped me one day during an epidemic. And, and it sounds like the States is in a lot of trouble right now. And I just wanted to track you down and make sure you're okay. And she reminded me, and it was actually that phone call that made me start going to work on a protocol for my family and for myself. Immediately, not thinking, I'm not going to wait around for some sort of vaccine. <laughs> I've gone through this rodeo once before. It didn't turn out that well. They still don't have a vaccine for HIV and they're never going to have one. And part of the technology that they've used in this is from HIV. That HIV insert is actually, um, you could call it an anti-inflammatory. They're using cobra venom 
to kill the inflammation that would come with toxins. That's the HIV insert that's in this thing. So they borrowed technology from all over the place to make this awful thing. But what it showed me is that that story of building the supplement, um, the older story that I can find is a really nice match, especially with the supplements that you're aware of that help that I've been working on, um, people like Dr. Artis and others. Um, we're actually recreating when it comes to coronavirus or this particular plague of venom, we're recreating the Seder plate. So it's very, it's very interesting timing that these Passover services are taking place. But once again, you know, you talk about sort of like uh, human animals that are so smart and, and so dumb at the same time. Everything becomes symbolic <laughs> at some point rather than applied. So, you know, you, you look at a Seder plate and it comes with an egg and it comes with a lamb shank and it comes with parsley and bitter herbs and this thing called haroset, which is made from cinnamon, which is an anti-inflammatory. And then it's got walnut in it. You know, um, it's got all these things that are needed. Um, the whole plate is also served on a brass. The, 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 the original Seder plate was brass. Then it comes with... Um, a copious amounts of red wine which are filled with resveratrol as an antioxidant. So the whole thing is a template. The whole thing is a way, and it was so important to Jesus that that was what he decided to do with his last supper. He was like, I am going to get killed tomorrow. Let's drill this again. But I think there's also a very unique um, story within that, in that, if I was going to be drowned, which is essentially what a crucifixion is, I would, I would use as my recipe for surviving it or attempting to survive a crucifixion, I would, I would use everything that's on the Last Supper, the quercetin, it's all there. I would fill my, I would, I would, I would, I would stock up for a couple of weeks on everything that I knew that I was going to have to survive that level of drowning because you're drowning in your own lung fluid. Um, and then you could have a resurrection. You could literally, you could survive. You could be the miracle that happened, like happens with people that drown. And then, you know, a great doctor gets them to pull through. Um, and you could do it with food. You could do it with all of these ingredients that come together to protect the tissues from, from, the, from the decay and protect the, uh, uh, um, the liver and the kidneys and, and all the things that we're doing. However, this is the part that I want to end with because unfortunately I have to go. Um, and, it's, and it's positive and negative at the same time, which is the storyline of Egypt doesn't, lay, doesn't uh, end with them staying in the system. They leave it. Yes, yes, good point. Yes. They, don't, they don't actually take out Ramses. There is no violence, right? There's no, I fixed it. I hired new politicians. I got those, those people, those public servants you're talking about to, I reminded them of who they are. No, they, they didn't, do, they, they tried. But ultimately what, what had to happen for them to, to save themselves and to form a new sense of democracy and a different way of living they had to leave. So I thought that was going to be possible for us when cryptocurrency came out. That seemed to be a way that everybody could step away from the system. If we didn't use their money, well, they couldn't pay the soldiers to kill people. But that clearly hasn't happened, you know, in the way that I'd hoped. There's no mass adoption. It hasn't been easy. Uh, but I agree. Oh, so 
I'll tell you something about crypto that that I think should be blatantly obvious to everybody. And I agree. I also thought about it. And I know other people have even told me, you know, when my plate, my, my uh, payment platform uh, pulled the rug on me the other day and gave me 30 days, I'm now probably on 15 left to replace, you know, biochemscience.com is running on a 15, you know, how many days I've got left before I have to go and put my supplement somewhere else because there's a cancel culture and they purposely go after supplement companies and they, they try and shut you down. And but, so but my supplement company is based in Iceland because if they want to shut that dot com down, they would have to create a court case in Iceland for that to happen. Wonderful. So thank you for that solution. I will follow I'll follow up with you if I, you know, I mean, but part of it is here here's here's where I think it gets really deep in terms of the exodus that I'm talking about, is that before the pandemic, what I was pushing for on stages is a full understanding of the dangers to society as it relates to terrorists taking out things like critical infrastructure, right? So how would cryptocurrency ever be a solution if a grid can just get turned off? Sure. Right? You'll starve to death waiting for your grid to be turned on. Now in the States, it's very dangerous. I don't really, I don't know that People are very aware of this in the States. The US is particularly uh, vulnerable to grid takeout because the grid uh, is a network and they buy and sell electricities, electricity to each other on that grid and it's all linked. So like Christmas lights, you can have a problem in terms of if it's not done in parallel or series, you can switch the grid off of the United States by taking out certain grids that will take out the whole thing, except for Texas. Texas is on its own power. So when it comes to crypto, like all of a sudden you've got money to go and buy food, but you can't turn your computer on. You can't charge your phone. The well, if that sort of thing was happening, then uh, you, you could... You everything would fall apart, not just crypto, even your credit cards are likely to work if, if right. all the factors are there. So um, I, I realize you've got to go. I'd be very interested in talking to you again, particularly about the solutions to all this, because clearly I think we've both been thinking a lot about what solutions are, you know, the people who have uh, been damaged by, by the jabs, you know, what should they be thinking about? What do we do in the future to protect ourselves against all the insanity? Personally, I'm I am incredibly optimistic because I get depressed otherwise. Yeah. So, Look, I'll and 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 I can be I can be um, depending on the day as well, and depending on um, it, it's all about the energy of the fight for me. But um, I'm optimistic too because um, not not because it's going to make me depressed. Um, I have to be, and I think this is also the difference of parents. Like if you were talking to me and I didn't have um, a young child and another one on the way, um, I would have a very different sentiment to this. Um, I'm not fighting for me, you know, um, as, as awful as it sounds, um, you know, there's a part to me that as a 50 year old man, I've had a good run. <laughs> you know, I'm a guy that believes in quality versus quantity, you know, there are days where I think back to different decades of my life with absolute joy in terms of how much pleasure I've already had, right? So I'm not gluttonous when it comes to uh, 
I'm not a hedonist. Um, I've had a good run. And the next run for me could be even better if it involves something as meaningful um, as creating a better world for my sons and other people's children. And so that in itself is going to be fun. The battle that we're fighting doesn't have to be a war of misery and suffering. The battle can be won and lost by based on joy. You know, people need to be reminded. I mean, part of what we're fighting is their system that they've created has created depression. So ultimately, you and I um, are not only trying to uplift our own spirits and, and, and anyone that's listening to this. And I can say that we could talk about, and we should on another call, all kinds of great supplements to do. Um, I'm going to say I'm looking at the beautiful sunlight behind you. And you know, we, we have to remind ourselves, everybody's got to get out. They've got to, you've got to get out of the cave. Um, think about the fact that they've told you that part of the backbone of this comes from bats. Um, bats are the population controllers of caves and caves are where animals go to hibernate. So if you want to defy the bat trying to kill you off in terms of a depopulator, if you want to defy viruses and, and venoms and, um, and, and, and forced hibernations, get out of the cave, <laughs> go see the world today, go argue with someone in the sunlight, go to Hyde Park and debate this you know, in person, scream at each other, you know, at least you won't be hibernating, you know, there's, 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 um, there's such fuel in passion. Um, you mentioned Hyde Park, Speaker's Corner, the famous place where people are able to speak, speak their mind. What that was, was when they were taking people to be hung, on the way to them being killed, hung, they were allowed to speak their mind on Speaker's Corner just before they were hung. Well, isn't that great that, you know, but, but it, 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 there's, there's something quite beautiful in the fact that, um, you know, just like I try and teach people over here, they're all about second amendment rights with guns. Like there was a reason that it was second. The first was speaker's corner. The first was that even if you were getting hung, your voice is the most powerful thing that you've got. And so if you ever find a system that is censoring, if you ever found a lie, any lie that someone's told you in a leadership position, you know you're not safe. Right. Yeah. Well, look, so thank you that. so much, Tal. It's been uh, fabulous speaking with you, and I'm very excited to speak to you again. I think we could speak for weeks. but uh, Yes, <laughs> let's do it. All right. All the best. Enjoy the rest of your day. Lovely chatting. Bye now. Bye.